This is Verse Curious, the podcast of new poetry reviews. I'm Benjamin Landry. Taken down from the bookshelf today is Couplets by Maggie Milner, published by FSG in February 2023. One should never be quick to conflate the lyric I, the speaker of the poem, with the author in an autobiographical sense. Poets write at least as much to excavate themselves as to exceed themselves. This is what Maggie Milner means when she writes to herself archly in poem 1.8 of Couplets. Occasionally it occurred to you that it might be better to write the account in the second person, truer to the spirit of that time. You no longer felt that experiences belonged to people in the first place. They were always the outcome of forces beyond the strictly personal. The trouble was that you were also embodied, which meant that you could never quite transcend yourself, or evacuate the frame, or shirk the myth of the grammatical singular. Still, there were mirrors, and there were books. If it is impossible to feel oneself in a unified way, it is also impossible to dismiss the notion of unity. This might all feel evasive and beside the point, but in Maggie Milner's couplets, it is exactly the point. She is, after all, telling the first-person account of a woman who, in her late 20s, throws over a long-term heterosexual relationship to explore her nascent queerness. I thought if I could train my eye on him, the one I loved, but I was wrong. My eye loved everything it fell upon, and then one day it fell upon a mirror, and he was nowhere in the mirror and she was everywhere. This is a curiously packed prologue of a poem, suggesting as it does that the speaker recognizes her attraction to the female form, but also prefiguring her queer love interest who comes to dominate the speaker's existence, both erotically and psychologically. Further, the image presages a personal self-reckoning, a meeting of oneself in the eye which, in the speaker's particular circumstance, requires the honesty of living in her submissive queerness. One of the standout poems of the collection, 2.1, cheekily outlines the new lover's dominance. Everyone had the same Ikea bed. She tied my wrists to hers above my head. She liked what she called clean lines, I would learn. Her major had been architecture. Sometimes when I lay there, waiting bound or free, I'd envision its assembly, the hundred screws, the greasy crossbar with its cues of stapled slats, the wooden dowels which had seemed too large to fit their holes that gently she'd forced in, the plastic pegs, the vinyl footboard trussed between the legs. Delightedly, Milner elaborates the erotics of some assembly required. Couplets ping-pongs between formal couplets written from the confessional first-person I and self-addressing prose poems written in second-person you. It's an effective strategy which keeps one mode from predominating and thereby staves monotony. I cannot help thinking that the couplet choice flags the binarism of the speaker's earlier heterosexual existence, while the prose poems conspicuously reconsider form in a manner bespeaking queerness. Milner also effectively deploys slant rhyme and enjambment in the couplets, loosening the potential straitjacket of the rhymed two-line stanza, as in this exemplary passage from poem 
Her hometown was a fancy box inside of which the school was lodged, like marquetry, its spires throwing tiled shade on taciturn colonials, too ritzy to relax completely in. Still, we made our best attempts, with Adderall in her blood, and in mine, Petite Meunier, we sat through speeches, sniffed bouquets, carved butter off of cold, misshapen eggs, and brushed each other's legs under the table. She pulled me into every family photograph, for which I grinned maniacally. The couplets lilt along agreeably, so much so that a reader often finds themselves in dangerous waters of the speaker's self-discovery without what might have been fair warning. While couplets often surprises with its intense psychological examinations of heteronormativity and queerness, there are also long stretches in which we are dulled by the ways in which the voyage is merely a chronicling of dependency and serial monogamy. The speaker cannot be alone with herself, and even the early mirror-sitting image represents a possible leap into independence which is quickly forestalled by the new lover, who assumes that female form. In backstory poems, the speaker reveals a predilection for submission and constraint, from the, quote, familiar open work of sex and teaching, kale and NPR, and the boyfriend at the center I revered, end quote, in the speaker's heterosexual past, to the conspicuously small apartment the couple occupied. The speaker's submission verges on self-abnegation, and it is halfway through the collection before the speaker begins to catch herself. It was by remembering how he'd soothed me that I soothed her, and when I held her cheek against my cheek, I was drawing from the well of love he filled. So I became, after all, not him exactly, but a kind of conduit between them, a conversation they conducted with my mouth. This porousness, which to some degree characterizes each of us, is an astute and brave realization, and one that makes possible perhaps the most subtle and radical transformation toward autonomy. Then I was the only person in my bed, she concludes, though other people's words ran through my head. And later, I felt that way, bonded to myself, by my authority alone, no one beside me, no one on the phone. This ultimate independence is all the more striking considering one of the significant background pressures of the collection, the onset of COVID-19, which famously encouraged pairing up as a self-preservation strategy. Why does this poetry matter now? Maggie Milner's couplets covers rich and convoluted ground. While the stakes are high, there are also moments of levity, such as the question of the custody of the cat from the speaker's former relationship. Couplets is a snapshot of pandemic life, a love letter to New York City, an expression of appreciation and forgiveness of the former self. Can the self-discovery of sexuality be as easy or as difficult as poetry? Can the way we conceptualize our lives fit into a room, a stanza? If so, it is a room that expands and shrinks by some power that is beyond us. It is a stanza both as apparently brief and as expansively suggestive as a couplet, and the successful poem, like the orgasm, cannot be reduced. That's it for this episode of First Curious. Much gratitude to Deborah Sedell for our theme music, with production assistance from Ryan Miller. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, 
and consider donating via the button on the Verse Curious Red Circle homepage with my thanks in advance. See you next time.